0: Well, my let's keep it real people, you know I love my guest. But my next guest, oh my. He rocked the house. I cannot wait for you to listen to my interview or my chat with Tim Ash. Incredible Tim Ash. So much fun. So informative. He has such a different perspective on things. I don't know if I always agree with him, but man... Was it food for thought? And yes, another incredible person I met at Heroic Public Speaking. So shout out to HPS. Woohoo! So many amazing people. I was reading some of his topics for keynotes. And recently he wrote a book, Unleashing the Primal Brain, Tapping the Unconscious to Move People into Action. And he said this little bit on his website. Drop a rock, it falls and hits the ground. Once you understand the brain evolution, many of our decisions will become easily predictable. To a scary degree, we are walking robots with knee-jerk responses and not the rational geniuses (laughs) with free will we like to imagine. What if you understood how the brain really makes decisions and could consistently influence it? Well, that's what he did on our podcast. Well, we talked about that and much, much more. He's a who. You're gonna want to share it, and we appreciate you sharing it, even just with one person that you know would enjoy and benefit, rate, and like the podcast. It means so much. And if you're looking for more as far as coaching, books, trainings, other podcasts, you can go to my website, Sandy Joy Weston. You know how much I really appreciate it. I love you guys. You're so supportive. You're so amazing. You're so incredible. I mean it. I draw in such awesome sauce people. Toodles. This is Let's Keep It Real with Sandy Joy Weston, your weekly dose of positivity with awesome stories and guests from all over the world. It's an opportunity to learn some great new things and expand your mind. We'll tackle topics from all areas of life. And as always with Sandy, the sky's the limit. Hello, hello, my Let's Keep It Real people. Okay, calm down there. I had no clue. You're going to have so many questions for my next guest, Tim Ash. But hoochie mama, there's so many. We will get to as much as we can and if not, you can always reach out to Tim. But before we bring him on, for those of you who may not know him, let me tell you about. He is an acknowledged authority on evolutionary psychology and digital marketing. He is a sought-after international keynote speaker and the best-selling author of Unleash Your Primal Brain, which I love, and landing, oh, I need this, landing page optimization. God, I need his help. Tim has been mentioned by Forbes as a top 10 online marketing expert and by Entrepreneur Magazine as an online marketing influencer to watch. For 19 years, listen to this, he was the co-founder and CEO of Tuners, a digital optimization agency. Tim helped to create over 1.2 billion dollars That's right, $1.2 billion in value for companies like, the list goes on, but Google, Expedia, eHarmony, Facebook, American Express, Canon, Nestle's, oh my God, there's so many. Tim, welcome and thank you so much for being on our show.
1: (laughs) It's my pleasure, Sandy. Very happy to be with you.
0: So let's tell them how we met A Heroic Public Speaking. I couldn't believe you were there. I was so excited. I had, by the way, heard about you before. And then I'm like, oh, my God, what is he doing here? Well, you always want to up your game, right?
1: Yes. So we were, as you know, in beautiful Lambertville, New Jersey, on the shores of the Delaware River. <laughs> um, No, I I went to high school in New Jersey, so I can make the Jersey jokes.
0: Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah.
1: And it was a a fantastic group there, of course, Uh, Amy and Michael Port running it and uh, up-leveling speakers of all ability levels. I like to think I'm all right. I mean, I make my living international keynote speaking, but boy, they just take it to the next level in terms of the performance, rehearsal, dramatic presentation aspects, just how to go beyond Mm -hmm. just delivering content to delivering real impact. So I... I figure I'm a C-minus guy in terms of the stuff they're teaching.
0: <laughs> I, I agree 100%. I don't know if you know this, but I'm in their grad course right now. Mm-hmm. It's it's just, it's great. It's phenomenal. I mean, I didn't realize how much I didn't know, Tim. I really- Yeah. Didn't.
1: And, and then the other thing is, of course, they're just such beautiful human beings. It's just the delight to be around them.
0: Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And the whole team is that way. The whole team is that way. All right, Tim, let's get into it. I ask every guest, give me one word to best describe your past 30 days, and why you picked that word.
1: Turbulent. um.
0: Oh, I like that. (laughs) I like turbulent. I never heard that word. Tell me why.
1: Well, this is the tail end of a pandemic and I have uh, two teenagers in the house. They've had their share of struggles during the past year and a half. So, you know, it's like that line from um, Forrest Gump, you know, life's like a box of chocolates. You never know what (laughs) you're going to get. That's kind of my my reality here at home. Wait,
0: how old are your teenagers?
1: Uh, My son's 16. My daughter's almost 16.
0: Are they in school or are they home virtually?
1: Well, one's... uh, attending school, but angling to go to a charter school and the other ones in a, a virtual charter school.
0: I I just, you know, I have an 18 year old at home who's a senior and man, oh man, it was, it was a rough year last year when he was all virtual. It's a little better now. Yeah.
1: It's yeah. Better. So I'll send you your infantry combat badge after he's done. <laughs>
0: But wait a minute. Aren't you in California where you were saying lovely Delaware River? are you out in California?
1: I am. I'm a little more than a mile from the beach in San Diego. Uh, I, I walk uh. down to the ocean every day and do my Tai Chi on the cliff. So, oh, yeah. Oh, please. It, it doesn't suck, as we like to say.
0: Yeah, I mean. I grew up in Jersey and not I live in Pennsylvania and not that I don't like it, but the fact that you said you're a mile from the beach.
1: Well, I I, I went to high school in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. So if you want me to pull out the Jersey accent. Oh my God, I just heard that. I heard the
0: Jersey accent. (laughs) Okay, we're going to get right into it, Tim, because I have so many questions and I want to get to as many as possible. So the biggest one I kept getting over and over again, of course, for my people that like self-development and change, how much, they said, can we really change? If so much is subconscious, let me just read. I always make up names for them. Let's call her Sally Bell. Dear Tim, I've been taking so many courses and read so many books. I call them self-help books. And my husband just looked at me and said, how much do you really think you can change? Mm. So, Tim, how much can I change if it's really all subconscious. What am I doing? And am I wasting my money? I think that's
1: a great question. It's a great question. And I'm afraid I'm going to be the uh, the bad news on this one. Uh-oh. There's their giant industries. I mean, from the Tony Robbins's to take this supplement, the four hour work week, you know, everybody's got the hack and the shortcut and either, Uh-oh. you know, do something or take a pill or change your mindset. And here's the reality. Our brains are there to help us survive. That's the only reason they exist, to propagate our genes. And okay. they a, a lot most of that programming worked in, from an evolutionary standpoint with a wide range of life forms. For a quick example, so dopamine, you know, people think, "Oh, yeah. that's the anticipation chemical, payoffs, rewards." And it's when those three little blinking dots on your messenger app are telling you to expect a reply from someone. Well, we share dopamine with fruit flies going back hundreds of millions of years. There's nothing... (laughs) human about it. It's a general mechanism for saying, hey, when is it worth expending energy to go after a reward? And what happens if we don't get that reward? Let's rewire our mental model to be a little better next time. That's it. That's like a very general mechanism that works for most of life on earth. And so to say that we can override, that we're some kind of clean slate, that we can be anything we want to be, that's total horseshit. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. So the fact is most of this stuff works. It works for a reason. It's automatic. You can't override it. And um, th- I mean, I talk about some ways of being a better human being given our biology, but uh, unfortunately, there's no like fundamental breakthroughs where you're going to be happy your whole life or something.
0: Okay. Well, I think right now,
1: all my <laughs> spiritual
0: self help people are like, what the F just happened here?
1: <laughs> I Reality just signed up truth, for this weekend.
0: You know what I mean? And like, you know, to be a better me. There is no better you. Well,
1: well, well there, there is a better you on a personal level, on a on a cultural level, on a self-care level. There are absolutely things you can do. And I can talk about those later if you want. But there, a lot of the things that uh, drive you are not going to change. You you want to survive. You want to avoid danger. You want to throw your own genes into the next generation and look for mating opportunities. When you're hungry, you'll act differently. You know, there's, those things are automatic and we don't even understand how we make decisions. Uh, There's an author, uh, Robert Heinlein, who's a science fiction author, once said, man is not a rational animal, he's a rationalizing animal. The real decisions are made emotionally and subconsciously and it's only Mm. after the fact, and you can see this on brain scans and medical imaging, only a, a split second after the fact do the language parts and the modern parts of the brain kick in to explain what happened, but it's just an alibi. It's not the real reason you acted.
0: Well, I'm going to take a deep breath in here,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean to depress you. Right? No, no, but. it's
0: okay, you know, because... <laughs> Uh, it's not like I'm somewhere somewhere in between because I've studied. I love the brain. I love learning about the brain. I'm fascinated, and I have studied a lot about the primal brain and where we came from. And an art, which is another question I kept getting, are we that different psychologically from the chimpanzee?
1: Yes, we we are. The way to look at it, uh, the the reason I decided to study evolutionary psychology and it's been a topic of interest for me my whole life is that to understand how human beings act, you have to retrace the whole arc of evolution. As I mentioned, we picked up some stuff that we share with insects, other stuff that, you know, you've heard about the reptilian brain or the crocodile brain, you know, other stuff we share uh, at the level of automatic reflex with um, snakes and lizards. And then there's the mammal part of us where we're individually weaker, but if we group into herds, we can have a group advantage. And then there, at the tail end of this evolution, last couple of hundred thousand years, there was a huge diversion or uh, of human beings and some really bizarre things happened at the human being level. So, yes, we're similar to all life, to mammals, to our primate cousins, but then we developed uh, some bizarre things as human beings, I make us very, very different from chimpanzees. So it's not a matter of like, you know, you hear that thing of, oh, 99.9% yeah, of no, our yeah, genes yeah, yeah, yeah. are the same, you know. That's, it, yes, yes. That, that, that's read fine that. because that's the, the recipe for building a body and an organism that should be the same. It works. Uh, but the recent developments in our, uh, our own evolution are really, really strange, I have to say.
0: Well, tell me more, because now I'm intrigued. What do you mean really strange?
1: Well, the last part of my book, the last several chapters, I call- Oh, hyper- we
0: don't want to give it away then.
1: <laughs> no, that's okay. I call hypersocial. So we, we are the most gregarious of all mammals by far. And I don't mean you know millions of ants that can group and do the same behavior because they're clones of each other, but we form the largest social group. So our brain is there primarily to understand and update our social relations relationships. We naturally were designed to be with about 100 to 200 close relatives, your cousins, uncles, nephews, nieces. Okay. And that's that's how we wandered around the plains of East Africa. And But to update all of the nuanced information in the tribe, you have to say like, okay, if I go on this podcast with Sandy and, and I do an awful job, she's not going to recommend me to this conference organizer. Therefore, I won't get this speaking gig. I mean, we have to update that kind of stuff in real time. And we can do yeah. that with a close group of about 100 to 200 people. And that is what our brain is, the new part of the brain is mostly for. It's managing those social relationships and updating in real time our position in the tribe. One other thing that makes us really strange is instead of evolving for all the different environments we could live in, we placed one big evolutionary bet on spreading culture. So we're basically hardwired to Mm. pick up like a sponge all the stuff around us. And that gives us an advantage in our local environment. In other words, somebody, who, an Eskimo who lives in the in the Arctic needs a very different skill set than somebody who lives in the Himalayas.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and so
1: by, by being, growing up around people in the local environment, you pick up the skills necessary to survive. So that makes us really, really good team players. It also makes us parrot and uh, spread cultural knowledge without altering it. And even to the point where we override our own beliefs and our own direct experience in order to be a good tribal member. Really? Yeah, absolutely. So you see these like, how can they be so stupid? This seems like a cult to me.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: That's because group survival and cultural knowledge gave us a huge evolutionary advantage. So we actually deny what our own eyes see in order to parrot our cultural package to the people around us. Because if you didn't spread it effectively and without changes, you wouldn't be a good team player and you would have been ostracized and thrown out of the tribe.
0: Okay. All right. So let's relate that to what's going on right now. I hear this all the time. In sp- Like you said, in spite of their own beliefs, you hear people say, how can they still believe that? This is the evidence. It's right in front of them. But they don't see it And whatever group they're in, whether, you know, where they live in the country or the religious group, they have. I hear people say that belief in spite of scientific proof. Is that what you're talking about?
1: That's certainly a modern manifestation of it. Again, remember, we were designed to run around with groups of 100 to 200 people. There were predators and there were apex you know, lions and tigers and bears, oh my, around us, but really the biggest threat was other human tribes. So it wasn't who's strongest physically, it's Okay, my tribe developed bows and arrows and you're still throwing rocks at us. You're going to yeah. die. Okay, so yeah. it had such a huge advantage that, again, mindlessly parroting things that were learned from the people around us is our default thing. Mm. In other words, when you think about it this way, we have these huge brains. They they pack in a lot of this cultural knowledge. It's kind of like in the Matrix movies, if you've ever seen them. You know, like yeah. download the program so I can fly a helicopter. Okay, great. Now I know how to do that two seconds later. Yeah, yeah, Well, yeah. it's kind of like that. We keep our bodies small. We don't grow into our adult, sexually mature size till teenage years in a giant growth spurt. And all of that is so we can focus on the brain development. So kids are useless. You know, they're, they're not very strong. They're not very capable. But but they're mimicking everything around them and soaking in that cultural knowledge. So that's what's really going on. And again, we may not even know what the reason for the behavior is. For example, if I said, do this really um, intricate uh, Japanese tea ceremony ritual or something, right? Mm-hmm. Well, it turns out that one small step in it, if you speak... Uh, kind of steep the leaves for just the right amount of time releases the most caffeine. Okay. And that makes you more alert. That makes everybody in the tribe more effective. Everybody's happy. But you don't know which of those hundred steps in that ceremony is the operative one, or even what it does or how it works. So we're just blind copiers of Behavior we see around us.
0: So I guess that explains cults.
1: Absolutely, and and the, so basically, it's a, the best tribe wins. It's not a matter, and and, mm. and the cohesion of the tribe is important. The the uh, loyalty, the a passion, how in sync everybody is. So it's basically, think of it like this, um, just a sled dog analogy. If you have a bunch of sled dogs and they're pulling in different directions, you're not going anywhere. But if they're all pulling in the same direction, it's a very powerful thing. So consistency and commitment to the beliefs and behaviors of the tribe is is what makes one tribe more effective than the other.
0: I hear, I just had someone on who grew up in a cult. And one of the biggest questions that people said, well, if she knew it was bad, why didn't she just get out? And she's like, they don't understand what it's like growing up in a cult.
1: Yeah. And I, and I have some experience with people that actually grew up in cults as well. Yeah. And So the thing to understand is that you really have to, what's the best way to put this? As mammals, we can't survive on our own. You don't want to be even on the outside of a herd because that's where the weak animals get picked off. But we certainly can't survive. And uh, uh, by ourselves, yeah, yeah, so for human beings, that's especially true. Uh, attachment, you know we feel distressed when we can't see another human being literally visually, and so we want to find our way back to the safety of our of our herd of the tribe, and so the worst thing you can do to people is to have this escalating social sanctions like gossiping about them, denying economic opportunities, denying mating opportunities, uh, excommunication, or even death Mm. in some cases. So these social tribal cohesion things are enforced by this increasingly painful consequences related to cutting us out of the herd. So it's hard to leave a cult because then you're on your own. And from a survival standpoint, your brain is screaming, I'm going to die.
0: Oh, I get that. I get that. Yeah, now that makes a little bit more sense to me, you know? I mean, I knew it's not that simple. It's like when someone says you're overweight, just stop eating. I hate when they say that, you know? <laughs> it's not that simple.
1: Like, yeah, if you've been talking to my wife. That's what she tells me, you know.
0: <laughs> yeah, just just stop eating. No, but it's the same thing. Well, she should have just gotten out and she's like it, many, 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 many years later, you know, when she went off to school, she finally broke away. But it was the same. She did say, "Well, well so
1: so is a replacement tribe. So the school yeah. and the university, or or the the church, the uh, some other community becomes." enough yeah. of a support system where you kind of shift your center of gravity to that tribe and it's not as big a deal to leave the other. Yeah. That's that's possible, but w- despite our Western notion of everyone's an individual, we're really highly, highly hypersocial collective creatures and we need that social support and even and the denial of yeah. social support is screams to our brain that it's a, there's a survival threat going on.
0: So I want to get to this next question. Ben, his his name is not really Ben. Benny Bob will call him. Was asking. Okay, so my brother lives, never moved in a really. Let's just I don't want to say what state, but in a state that he feels. Uh, it was very rural. He didn't get to see outside people, and he has mm-hmm. the same beliefs he's had for many, many years, and he doesn't understand with social media and being able to see what's really going on out there why he can't say, oh, my God, there's more than just how we grew up. I think you're answering that right now. Yeah, I
1: think I already did. I mean, he has uh, one of the best cures for small-minded tribalism, I'll call it that, is outside experience. So get uncomfortable, stretch, meet people that you wouldn't normally associate with, spend time around them. I mean, for example, we talk about white privilege. I never thought of myself that way, but I remember distinctly when I was in junior high school, I think we went for the first time to Washington, D.C., and we're walking around the Smithsonian, and then we went to get a pizza a few blocks off the, the mall, and I remember distinctly this feeling. It was like, okay, we're like the only white family in a black neighborhood, and being mm. on the other side of that, like being yeah. a, a, a distinct minority – felt really weird, and I'm just, and and I was thinking, oh, okay, this is what some black people must experience when they're in dominantly white environments all the time. So, but then it's like, you, you can't have just like, oh, I have a black friend, or I have a white friend. You know, you have to actually yeah. mix yeah. with people Travel is the best way to uh, break through mm-hmm. social blocks and this tribalism we're talking about, whether it's across the state, across your city, going to an activity you wouldn't have gone, or of course, international travel, if you can do that. Yeah. That is the best way to break down these tribal walls.
0: You know. This is really helping me understand how to explain to some people why it's not so easy to get out in an environment and why I was able to. So I grew up in a really poor area, like a project. And I was very fortunate that I had dance and I got scholarships to college and everything, Tim. But most people I know didn't leave that area. And so a lot of my friends or uh, relatives will say, well, you got out. Why can't they? And I said, it's not that easy.
1: Right. It, it's, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that we do that. We mythologize <laughs> you know, this, well, this. I like kind, that word mythologize. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, the, the idea is that there's individuals and, and look at this person, they succeeded. Yeah. Uh, well, great. Yeah. So one in a thousand people succeeded and most people were pulled away from the shore by the rip current and died. Okay. One person managed to make it back and you're using them as the example, as if, you know, that everybody should be able to function like that. It's, so much of it is, you know, social support, your network, uh, lucky timing, things like yep, that. All, yep. Most things depend on the social soup in which we're functioning, and 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 it's not. And this notion of the kind of frontiersman or the ind- rugged individualist or the Elon Musk's or Warren yeah. Buffets of the world—it's yeah. basically total bullshit. There was a, a lottery; somebody got the winning number. Yeah. And now we're all saying we should be like them.
0: Tim, can you come to my holiday dinner and explain that? <laughs> 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 I, you said it way better than I did. Way better. All right. We we got to move on here. We got a lot to cover, dude. All right. I know the answer to this and we kind of covered it. But why is it important to understand people from an evolutionary perspective? psychology perspective.
1: Well, it's, like you say, if you want to understand who we are, you have to retrace the whole arc of evolution and things we picked up along the way and that we share with much more ancient forms of life. We're not any better. The way to think about the brain is it's basically a Band-Aid on top of a fix, on top of an upgrade, on top of a rebalancing of certain parts of the brain. So for example, you know I mentioned that we mimic other animals by watching them. We have mirror neurons in our brain yeah, that, yeah. that literally make us mimic other people's behavior. Well, primates, other great apes have that. We just have more mirror neurons in more concentrated, specialized forms in, in, in that part of the brain. So it's basically just upgrades and rebalancing. Um, and so to understand what, where, how we behave, you have to say which part of the brain is kind of operating right now. If it's hunger or it's mating, for example, uh, it's, it's well known that men in particular, as opposed to women, um, react to sexual stimulation. Any a picture of an attractive woman is going to yeah, make us yeah. much more risk taking. Well, that has an obvious evolutionary root in it, which is that the biggest high stakes event for any form of life is sexual reproduction and survival of your genes. So we're going to take extreme risks to do that. In fact, there's a qu- qualifying event before mating for every type of animal. Some sort of qualifying event, if you want to look at it that way. So what of you course, mean, quali- m- whoa,
0: whoa, qualifying event. Well, I'll you know
1: whether it. it's it's fight another male or build oh. a better nest or have a better songbird song you know you have to show your fitness for mating and that you're better than all the other suitors
0: Does it have to do with money ever
1: For human beings certainly that's a yeah. that's the flashing status you know, <laughs> yes. you know my ferrari is bigger than my penis you know that yes. kind of thing Yes 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 so uh, but but my point is that men are are, are going to take that risk Um, and they're, and so if you want to distract someone, if you want them to make poor quote unquote objective decisions, sure. Just show them a picture of an attractive woman. That's all it takes. So my, my point is that uh, not that men are pigs. I'm just saying that.
0: Yeah, I got you. You're uh, wired that way. Yeah.
1: (laughs) You're wired that way. And, uh, or if you're hungry, you're not going to think about, you know, your 401 retirement K and long-term financial well-being, you're going to say, where can I get some food? So whatever is the dominant kind of drive or need happening inside of you right now, that's what largely governs your behavior.
0: Okay, which leads me to my next question from, uh, I'll call it Janie. Janie wants to know, are we wired sexually different than men? Which you kind of just answered that.
1: Yes, I have a whole chapter in the book about, um, you know, Sexy apes and uh, our, our gender differences and the broad strokes are, are clear to everyone and and they you know Some people might say it's reductionist, but you know, men and women both try to find appropriate mates But what they're looking for is different. So men are looking for okay physical Attractiveness as a kind of a proxy or a shorthand for saying will you be able to deliver? A healthy child and raise them and so we look for that hourglass figure in fact, you know, people say, well, that's, you know, cultural stuff. It's objectification of women, the, the, the hourglass figure. It's not. Congenitally blind men still look for a waist to hip ratio of about 0.7. Wait, it's did you a,
0: just say blind men?
1: Yes. They they find uh, a certain waist to hip ratio, which says, okay, your pelvis is wide enough to pop out a bowling ball size baby you. head. I'm with you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, as being the most sexually attractive. So It's not some kind of objectification, this is across all cultures. It's, it's just a, a biological marker. So, you know, the, so lips, especially women highlighting their lips with um, bright lipstick, uh, that waist to hip ratio. Well, if you have a small butt. You wear ruffled skirts once upon a time. If you have a thick waist, you you corset it in to get closer to those ideal ratios. And that's what men are going to inevitably find attractive. For women, it's a different game. What they're looking for is essentially, again, back in the day, now most women that I know of at least are economically self-sufficient. But for our evolutionary history, it's finding someone that has the resources to make sure your kids survive. That means they have to be at the top of the social pyramid. Got it. So women look for one of two types of men, one that are already at the top of the social pyramid, which are hard to find as they're usually already have mates (laughs) or ones with the potential to become that. So, you know, you hear that bad boy image, yeah, yeah, the Harley riding, you know, fireman, stock yeah, yeah, yeah. day trader, whatever, extreme risk person, the person might be violent. Well, all yeah. of that bad boy stuff, which women prefer early in life, is because do they have the initiative, the aggression to become socially dominant and provide? And usually, if, that, if those behaviors don't lead to any kind of social dominance, they get left behind by the women at some point. So, oh, well, women that are older don't usually go for the bad boys anymore.
0: <laughs> That's true. All right, I have to circle back. You mentioned something about lipstick. I don't know where you were going with that. Women should uh, well, wear Well, so, so there's tw- uh,
1: there's markers of um, genetic fitness, if you will, in terms okay. of like, did your program unfold properly? And you know, genetically, are you okay? Symmetric facial features, infantilized looks, you know, big eyes, high cheekbones, baby-like features. Uh, are telling us that this woman is younger and more likely to survive childbirth, and in fact, gotcha. have multiple children if that's if that's what we want. So we select for uh, younger-looking, girl-like or baby-like features as a marker of that. And and uh, there are secondary kind of sexual characteristics, um, including lips, and so you want to emphasize lips basically, and that's why you know why lipstick's pretty much universal. Yeah. yeah.
0: Uh, uh, Tim, my females out there are going to
1: be like they're okay. going to hate me. I know. I'm sorry. They're not going to hate you. because I'm you're just not explaining. Saying we're
0: superficial. I'm, I'm, you're saying this is how we're wired, and basically, I'm just saying, older women are screwed.
1: <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, personally, I, I like. I, I'm much more attracted to age-appropriate women because uh, they are just. they're so much more interesting. It's not. It's not just the physical stuff. So I don't want to yeah. reduce all of human. beings to that. I'm just saying that if you look at what is biological, there are these, you know, basic formula. And there's definitely an asymmetry where, uh, unlike some other species, we have very different sizes and functions between the two genders.
0: (laughs) Uh, You remind me of my girlfriend goes, okay, so it's really not my husband's thought that he left me for a younger woman. It's just because he said, this is the way I'm wired. <laughs> I'm
1: well, wired. You know, actually, it's not, but it's not just, how would you say? Uh, le- let's talk about monogamy for a second because that's an interesting topic.
0: Oh, I can't wait to where we're going here. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, only 3% of mammals are lifelong monogamous. We're not in that group. Nothing in the primate side of the tree or the great ape side of the tree. There are no monogamous uh, uh, yes. apes. So lifelong monogamy, as much as, you know, you can put the cultural and religious overlays on. And like I say, that's a massive part of how we experience the world, right? But at a a base kind of animal species level, there's no reason to expect that. Let's just put it that way. In fact, women were the ones in the driver's seat and they were kind of in control. Uh, They decided who they mated with. Mm. And... So, in fact, there's some cultures that think a woman getting pregnant is the result of the sperm contribution of multiple men. And it's a smart ah. thing from, again, a mating strategy because you don't know whose kid it is. Uncertain paternity was a huge feature in our evolution. Um, and so, you know, if you're in that tribe of 100 to 200 close relatives, someone's your uncle, father, cousin, nephew, you just don't know which, <laughs> okay. right? And, 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 uh, and this has been proven, again, across the globe in, in a really interesting study. If you look at grandparents and how much care they show to the grandchildren, you'll find this really strong pattern, the most caring are the maternal grandmothers. Okay. And the least caring are the paternal grandfathers. And here's oh. the reason. Imagine this, you have this uncertain paternity. Well, you always know who the mom is. For example, Jews are very practical that way. They trace the bloodline through the mother. You saw who gave birth to the kid, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it, it, but think about the man's point of view. You're the grandfather of a son who just had a kid. Well, there's a double uncertainty about paternity. You don't know if your son is actually the father and you don't Uh. know if you were the father of the son. So, there's, uh, so basically, the ones that are most sure of the genetic closeness of their relatives are the ones that are going to invest the most in taking care of them.
0: Tim, you've given me a whole nother world to think about. <laughs> I never quite thought of it that way. Oh, my God. We're going to have to have you back on for all the questions that are going to be thrown at me. All right, listen, I need to get this in because I got to switch gears here because I've about about 100 people writing me in about this. Habits, Right? Mm. Like we talked about before, there are all these self-help courses and how to change your brain. And once you realize that most things aren't done on a conscious level, it's subconscious. Well, if you start retraining, resetting the brain gradually to, and that you're more aware through meditation, maybe hypnosis of what's going on subconsciously, then you can make a huge difference. What do you think, Tim? Yes and no. Oh, <laughs> you're not, me you're not
1: gonna. You're not gonna want to hear this answer. either.
0: I do want to. Uh, okay. I so do. so
1: in in terms of overall brain plasticity, we are a bit of a blank slate, at least for the cultural knowledge, right? We have our automatic reflexes. When I'm hungry, eat. When someone hits me, uh, I'm gonna, you know, lash out and hit them back. That, that kind of stuff, right? But if you look at it from the conscious level, the stuff that's getting wired up, our cultural knowledge, our experience of the world, we do start out as a blank slate. And unlike other animals that are pre-wired to be effective, yeah. Well, so for example, a, a baby giraffe drops out of its mom and within a, a half hour to an hour can walk and follow its mom human babies can't walk for a year. So yeah. we're helpless and we're not pre-wired, but we're there to take in all that cultural knowledge. So our brains have this huge explosion of connections and possible ways to explain the world. And then right about age five, we start pruning those back. Most of them are useless. But our brains, and I can tell you this as a parent of teenagers, aren't fully mature or largely mature till about age 25. Actually, yeah, that, was, I, knew. that I knew. Actually into the mid mid-40s, but most of the growth is done by 20. So what that tells you is that people become less and less able to change or less and less willing to change. There's statistics that say if you haven't tried sushi by the time you're 30, there's only a 5% chance you'll do it. So your habits aren't going to change. You become kind of crustier as you go through life and le- and more set in your ways. I know. But having said that, you um, there's two ways you can learn big shocking experiences that are memorable. You know, oh, I I was in that car crash because I was following that car too closely and whatever happened that's etched in your memory. And then there's habits, and habits are dull repetition of things over and over and over again. That's a much slower way to make changes. And remember, you're kind of fighting against the super highway that's already been built next door of your existing habits and your past life experiences and what you're saying is oh i'm going to cut this new path through over here through yeah. the jungle with a machete and i'll build a new road well yeah you can do it but it becomes harder and harder to do that so largely first five in our formative experiences determine what we find easy to do which neural connections are really reinforced and are super highways and what we find hard to do so going off-roading with that machete is really hard
0: Okay, so I'm afraid to ask you this, but I have to. I just have to now with all that being said and what our thoughts do and changing habits, how do you feel about law of attraction?
1: Well, that's a cultural concept. that's how I feel about it oh. um, <laughs> I, so if you if you want to carry that around in your head and the your tribe around you believes it, you know and you're in that cult, that's fine and I don't mean cult in a you know like a sick, twisted, heaven's gate sense. But y- y- you understand what I mean. Yeah. Y- you've bought into a certain world view. The thing to realize about Westerners in particular, we talk about our individual happiness and as if our lives matter, as if we're the star of the movie. And the fact is much more of human nature is communal and our own individual happiness or belief systems don't matter. It's about group harmony, group field. A lot of Eastern societies are formed much more along these communal lines. Uh, We're the weird ones. Kind of European post-Renaissance Individualists are actually the weird ones, and it goes against human nature.
0: Okay, so that's why you say why is chasing happiness counterproductive?
1: Yeah, I, well, if you look at it, so, uh, imagine if you were completely happy right now. Okay. Okay, you no, ready, no. Sandy? Yeah, you're. You're, you're standing on the, uh, You're sitting on this beautiful beach. Coconut falls off the palm tree. You eat it. You know, fish jumps out of the ocean under onto your campfire. You eat it. You know, it's it's a good life. You don't have to do anything. <laughs> okay. Right. Yeah, I'm with, and that's you know, what it's I'm like there. if you, if you over overdose on opioids, or for example. That's the state it brings on. I'm happy at a chemical level. So you'd never be incentivized to actually get off your butt, literally, and do anything.
0: You're right. I wouldn't want to change it because I'm right.
1: blissed. All right. Yeah, you're blissed out. So your brain is not there to make you happy. Uh, let me say that again. Your brain is not there to make you happy. It's there to help you survive. So it's going to give you little payoffs along the way to do things that it thinks have survival value for it oh let's have sex let's eat food let's get some rest you know it's incentivized to do, let's have strong social connections in the case of human beings all of those have psychic payoffs that are chemically based but if they were happening all the time and if you reach some permanent state of happiness you'd actually have a, a crappy life because you wouldn't do anything you'd forget to eat to wipe your butt to do anything you'd die okay.
0: so I get short, it. I so get happiness it.
1: Yeah. chemicals actually, only circulate in your bloodstream for very short amounts of time. Unlike stress chemicals like cortisol yeah. that are stay in your bloodstream for much longer. So think of happiness as like a little puff of wind that fills your sail. Keep going in this direction, keep going in this direction. There's no, there's no sustained gales that are gonna push you in the right direction all the time. So see, seeking happiness is a false thing that leads to the path of addiction. Uh, most things that quote unquote make you happy, again, whether it's it's sex, it's food, it's buying stuff, all of those things have very unhappy endings. I have a whole chapter on addiction, for example, and how that works in the brain. Gambling, uh, obviously, much larger quantities of certain brain chemicals than your body can naturally produce, yeah. You know, all of that bad news. There's only one sustainable way, if you want to talk about mind habits, to uh, kind of stay happier than you normally would be. And there are good habits of mine. So the main one is recapitulating gratitude. It's being grateful for what you have and calling that back from the past and recalling it.
0: Wait, 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 hold on. My listeners are like, okay, we can relate to that one.
1: Okay, all right. Well, that's the only one that doesn't lead to addictive escalation and bad consequences. You want to be a gambling addict, a sex addict, or a drug addict, the other past, that's where they lead. This is the only renewable source of happiness that you can tap without those extreme consequences.
0: Okay, Tim. So I love the gratitude. I'm all about it, waking up, thinking about the things you're grateful for.
1: Even better, do it at night. I have a little gratitude journal where I just have bullet points of good things that happen during the day. To, to I don't the even day go and you, back and, and look at down? it. write them
0: down? Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. Okay. And that recapitulates them and puts them into my mind because yeah. the stuff you process in the hour before sleep is more than... Five to six times more uh, salient than the rest of the day's events combined, which is why, you know, religious people, they they will say a prayer, you know, it's like yep. oh uh, at, you know, at their bedside. They'll say, um, I'm grateful for mommy and for daddy and, you know, I have a roof over my head. And that's what they're going into sleep with, which is a really powerful thing.
0: So I got the gratitude. Let's move. Like we talked a little bit about the law of attraction, but what about not being addicted to something, but just waking up in the morning after you said what you're grateful for and having a sense of pure joy or peace or a state of love that has nothing to do with what's going on in the outside world. Can't you choose to have that emotion, not all the time, but more and not it be you know, oh, because my husband did this, my kid did this, the world did this, and tune into that more your 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 essence of being—love, peace, and joy.
1: Yeah. And by the way, um, well, I know joy is your middle name, so you have to throw the joy in there. Right? <laughs> no, but uh, no, but I'm not saying anything that. Um, Uh, there are cultural practices that help us lead a better life. And all the mindfulness stuff is in that bucket for me. I I mentioned I do Tai Chi, Um, I've done a little bit of meditation, I'm certainly not some Zen master, totally evolved Bodhisattva here to help (laughs) other unfortunate (laughs) souls achieve Nirvana. Well that's that's good. Yeah, that's not me, Uh, I only play one on TV. But the, the thing I can tell you is that this stuff does have a, a, a rewiring effect on the brain, and it does if, affect brain states and, and, and this has been studied. I mean uh, you know you, you look at the again Buddhist monks that can lower their respiration to yeah. you know two heartbeats per minute or something like that, or generate happy waves in the brain on demand. So yeah, you can get a better control of, of your body, but there's still limitations. Yeah. So yes, you you can do that with significant practice and mainly by dialing back the noise and tuning into more subtle energetic things. Yeah. Um, but having said that, here's the thing. Your brain has this quality called homeostasis, which basically is a fancy way of saying it keeps things in a normal range that allow you to operate. So if you're too yeah. hungry, you'll eat yeah. and you'll raise your blood sugar. If you're if your pH drops, you know, you'll you'll want put certain things in your body. If if you're dehydrated, you want to bring up your hydration level. And hunger works, for example, on um, different time scales as well. There's the mechanical hunger of not having a full belly. There's the certain chemicals released into your bloodstreams that tell you that there's enough fat in your body. But basically, your body always returns to normal, to some normal operating range. Mm. So, you can't go out. So, I hate to say it, but
0: no, it's good. For example, good. I
1: struggle with with weight a little bit. My mom was overweight. My brother's kind of heavy, and you know, my my thin wife has no compassion. She's just like like you said earlier, eat less. Right? Yeah. That's not very helpful because no, my <laughs> my body has a certain fat set point, and yeah. it wants to stay around that. And yo yo dieting isn't going to help. No. So uh, in fact, it's kind of dangerous health wise long term. So the thing to understand is that. Something like weight is largely inherited and will stay in a certain range and you can't really fight against it. That, it, it, In fact, the heritability of your weight is higher than the um, inheritability of your height.
0: What? This is my field and I didn't even know that.
1: I know, but let me let me put it another way. Uh, have you ever said to somebody, oh, oh, you know, you need to add a little height. I mean, said no one ever, but basically you're <laughs> genetically- <no> one ever. <laughs> You're genetically saying the equivalent of that by saying, telling someone to lose weight permanently. Their body mm. has a certain set point and it's going to come back around that in the long term. That's it. Tim, I
0: 100% agree with you. 100%. Being in the profession, you know, I owned health clubs my whole life and I've seen it time and time again. And I would wish people didn't beat themselves up for it. Do you know what I mean? Because yep. I know, even me, I mean, I'm not saying I'm not in good shape, but it, I have to work out like a crazy human being. And if I don't, my weight's not gonna stay. You know what I mean, where I want it. And I yeah, don't want to do that anymore, yeah, so. By
1: the way, so on, on the encouraging front is, um the, the, we're all in the gene pool for a reason. There's skinny people, there's fat people, there's muscular people, slight people. You know, you need a mix of all those kind of endomesomorph types or pitha, taka, or whatever the Indian version of that is. Ooh. you You need that in the gene pool. But the good news is there have been recent studies that say, hey, if you are carrying a lot of fat, that doesn't matter as long as your activity level is the same. So you may not feel good about your body self-image. You may not be able to wear certain clothes. You may think you're socially or sexually being judged by others in terms of your attractiveness. That stuff all remains. But in terms of health outcomes, if you're a fat person and you're moving around, your risk of death goes way down.
0: I, yep. Yep, and I, I heard that too, and I was so excited to tell people. All right, let's. We gotta switch gears because. <laughs> okay. You no, know, I got so many great questions here that I want to make sure I get in, and one is, how similar are we to the elephant? To the what? Elephant, because they saw elephants mourn somewhere. I think I don't remember. You know with about their babies if they passed away
1: well i mean elephants are mammals Uh, mammals are relatively recent in terms of life on earth Uh, we share so the the way to think about it if we want to just have the three different levels of your brain i'll relate it back to that so the first would be automatic reactions if you burn your hand on a hot stove, you peel it away. You don't have to go, hmm, what is that smell of burning skin on the tip of my finger? No, you don't do that, right? You just (laughs) yank your hand away. Yeah. Well, so that's the reptilian brain. That's automatic reactions. And then on top of that, we have the mammalian brain, which is, again, we're weaker individually, but stronger as a herd. In order to be a mammal, like elephants or people, it required new constructs in the brain. One was to Learn from experience, that means you have to be able to remember something, okay? And the other is prioritize your memories so you can effectively act on them, which is the role of emotions. So basically, emotions are how we make non-automatic decisions uh, and we do it based on life experience. Oh, I did that before and it felt good, so I'm going to do it again. Or I did that before and it was painful, so I'm never going to repeat that right? So emotions are helping us prioritize our experience, our past experiences and how we should act in any moment. And memory helps us to bring up the possibilities of what we can do. So mammals have very closely tied emotions and memories. The things that are most memorable to us are the ones that are strongly encoded in the moment. They're multi-sensory, they're associated with strong emotions. Have you ever been on a roller coaster Oh, yeah, I love them. Right. So, think about all the stuff that's happening. Winds whipping through your hair. your uh, People are screaming next to you. There's a ch- rapidly changing visual field. Uh, and your stomach is conspiring with your throat to evacuate your lunch. You know, all of that stuff's yeah, going on. Yeah. You're going to remember that. Whereas tying your shoes, not so much. You've done it a thousand times, been there, done that. It doesn't need to be remembered or stored at all. In fact, the thing most people don't realize about memory is it's a forgetting machine. Our brains can't store everything we do. There's no total recall. There's no black mirror episode where you can rewind your life. That's all bull. So yeah. we throw away and flush 99.999% of our daily inputs and only remember a few of them at night and overlay them on past experiences in order to have a more, a better model of the world. So all of that is to say that we're like elephants in the sense that we're herd animals and we're mammals. Uh, Mm. Beyond that, yeah, animals have certain kind of intelligence. Dolphins are smarter. Yeah, somebody asked me about
0: dolphins too.
1: Elephants are smarter. Um, If you want to see a really beautiful documentary on Netflix, it's called My Octopus Teacher, and it's about the South African man's relationship with an octopus that he kept diving and visiting on an ongoing basis. After that movie, I'll never eat another octopus again. Aww. That's because they have a, they're highly intelligent. Mm. And it's a completely different evolutionary branch going back hundreds of millions of years, but brains evolved underwater too. They're just a very different kind of intelligence.
0: I told you, somebody reached out and wanted to know if they were an extraterrestrial because they're so different.
1: Nope, they're just an uh, an older cousin. (laughs) In in fact, there there's some marine animals that had brains that evolved them away. I mean, brains are very expensive to maintain. So certain kinds of sea sponges actually had brains at one point and then got rid of them because they weren't worth it.
0: All right, so Tim, I cannot even tell you how fascinating it is to have this conversation with you. I mean, I could just talk to you for weeks. I have so many questions and my listeners have so many questions, but I want to get in one of your last points because I think it's important. What are some tips for being more in tune with your primal? Nature, I think that's a huge one. We have to get in.
1: Yeah, so I have a whole chapter at the end of the book, just some prescriptions from living a better primal life, if you will. Um, One of the keys is actually sleep. Uh, There's an epidemic of bad sleep in our society. Yeah, we're we're not on the right biological cycles. Uh, we're not sink to light and day anymore. We're staring at that stupid cell phone the moment we wake up and until the moment we go to sleep. And all of that is conspiring to cause massive mental health and physical health issues for us. So the first thing is get seven to nine hours of sleep on a regular schedule. If you're, if you think you're part of that, you know, 5 a.m. Yeah. club or whatever yeah. that bullshit yeah, yeah. is, you're, you're literally killing yourself. Sleep is foundational. And I know you've been in exercise and nutrition, but most people get that completely wrong. It's not exercise and nutrition. And then sleep is an afterthought. It's sleep is daily life support. That's the foundational stuff. Without it, exercise and nutrition doesn't even work.
0: Nope. I agree. And you know what? You're right. I don't know what it is. So many of my friends and my clients tell me they may go to bed at a normal time, but they wake up and they can't go back to sleep. Uh, you know, they wake up to go to the bathroom at like at 3 3.30 and then they're up, and then the, they do the worst thing, I think. They look at their
1: phones. Yep. I don't even keep my phone in my bedroom. Oh. So you can put these little behavioral triggers. You were talking about how to change habits and stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. My buddy BJ Fogg, who's the head of the Persuasive Technology Lab at Stanford and has keynoted at my conference I used to run, he wrote this book called Tiny Habits, and his stuff is really brilliant. But basically, like make the triggers harder. Make it harder to do yeah. the behavior. If you have to get out of bed to get your phone in the next room, you're much yeah. less yeah. likely to do it. If you put a bowl of fruit by the TV, you're more likely to snack on healthy stuff. You know, it's it's just little things like that can really go a long way towards changing your behaviors.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. I always say to my uh, family because they can, like, like you said, my husband, my son, they can eat a lot more than me, and I hate them for it because they look so thin. And I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> but not hate is a strong word. And they'll dazzle it in front of me I go, that's not fair. But I tell them at least put it in the cabinets where it's hard to reach. Like you know, they're both tall, so like you'd have to really get a ladder. And put the healthy stuff out.
1: Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Change, change the environment. They've shown there's a lot of little behavioral economics nudges. They've shown for that for school lunches, for example. If you put the healthy stuff, like the fruits and vegetables, at the start of the lunch line, kids will choose more of that. It's a Simple yeah. behavioral trick. Um, yeah. So make it easy to do the right thing and make it harder to do the wrong thing.
0: See. You change little habits, can't we, do? Yeah,
1: we can manipulate our media environment in a thoughtful way in advance. But once I'm there in it, making the decision, I'm going to react to whatever the environment is.
0: Ooh, I like that. So you're just validating my point. It really matters that you set the house up for success. Like if you're talking about health and nutrition. I can't argue
1: with that. So so again, sleep, uh, the other thing that most people don't realize in terms of exercise, almost all Olympic level athletes have weight training in their program. And the reason is simple. You think it's about better muscles and bone density there's another massive benefit remember your brain isn't just inside your skull your central nervous system extends to every joint and fingertip in your body and the only way the nerves get repaired is by repairing the muscle tissue in which they're embedded so my prescription is basically sleep and lift heavy things (laughs) that's it okay so that's by the
0: way by the way just you know tim and i did not talk about this beforehand
1: no, I don't even know your background I in this area. I
0: love lifting. I, I, and I'm not a big girl. You saw me. I lift heavy. It's what, if anything, I feel better mentally and physically. I look better. Years ago, when I was in my 20s, a strength coach said, you want to lose weight? Lift weights. And we didn't do that back then, Tim. Girls were just mm-hmm. doing cardio and aerobics. And I started a huge weight training routine, you know, not to bulk up. And yeah. it changed my life. Changed well, women life.
1: won't women won't bulk up. You know, your build is your build, and women yep. won't put up on as much nope. muscle. And the point isn't bulking up or losing weight or even burning off fat. It has all of those effects as well. Oh, actually, weightlifting changes the way your fats get processed in your body. It changes your fat tissue and it's how it's metabolized. Yeah. But the, the, my main emphasis is on the brain, which is you know, brain health depends on repairing and throwing out the bad stuff that's not working. The only way that's done is if you strain the muscles.
0: So sleep, number one.
1: Lift heavy things. Number two. The the other thing is um, social connection. There was this longitudinal famous study done in Boston with some Harvard alumni and their Southie cousins, the poor part of Boston. And they've (laughs) tracked these people for 70, 80 years now. And basically what they found is in terms of health outcomes, Uh, So strong social support, not having it rather, is the equivalent of being a two pack a day smoker in terms of health outcomes. So you you can't be an island, you can't be isolated. You have to have strong social connections, whether it's your book club or your hiking group or whatever it is, you have to seek out strong social connections. That actually determines life, happiness, and well-being to a huge extent. Remember what I said about social isolation and being ostracized? Yep. So so actively seek that out.
0: Well, that's why last year when so many people were isolated because of the pandemic, we had a lot of mental... Health issues going. The They're rise.
1: continuing. It's just a, yeah. it's a it's an ep- it's a giant tidal wave that's just building. My wife's a social worker, and yeah, oh. t- she's got work for for the foreseeable future because of this. I know. Again, my kids have struggled quite a bit in yep. in school because of the isolation, the virtual school. This is a this is a big wave that's about to crash into this society.
0: Well, is, tell me the good news. Is there hope here?
1: <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I don't mean to be a Debbie Downer. Um, <laughs>
0: you weren't by the way you were not at all it was actually really helpful but come on they're they're doing their best we're going to come out the other side we are yeah. back out more you know? yeah
1: yeah and then the gratitude and remembering all the things you still have like i said daily gratitude practices are key yeah. Yeah. um recapitulating things that that you are grateful for um and along with that is this. Oh, um this notion of, um, what's the best way to put this? My train of thought derailed. I'm sorry. That's it. Okay. Uh,
0: I love that, actually, because you were like just so eloquent the whole time, you know?
1: Yeah. Okay. So uh, I'm not Superman. I admit it. Um, oh God! <laughs> no. So, um, you know, gratitude is very important, and the other key thing, if you can do it, uh, I know a lot of us struggle with it, especially as a result of loneliness and as a coping behavior. Don't introduce psychoactive drugs into your body. Drinking oh. other drugs. I mean, there's a there's certain levels of endocannabinoids and opioids and dopamine that naturally circulate in our body for survival reasons. The, the brain is mm. calibrated towards using them. The body actually produces them as a payoff: oxytocin for skin contact, you know, bonding things like that. All of those chemicals exist, but if you start hammering your body with a hundred x purer or more powerful version of those, you're yeah. going to completely screw your brain up permanently. And it's very mm. hard to come back from that stuff. So, avoid addictions. Avoid putting artificial stuff into your body in terms in terms of psychoactive stuff.
0: I'm so glad you mentioned that, you know, because I do think that's a tough one for many people, Tim, because I think that's a go-to.
1: Yes. And it's, uh, whether it's self-medicating or you get hooked on something as a result yeah. of being prescribed, but this society has – uh, in my judgment, a uh, huge problem with, you know, pills as a solution to stuff or drugs yeah. as a solution to stuff. Uh, it's not going to make you happier. No one's, I talk about addiction in my book, you know, all the different stages of it. And it's like, no one ever said it, you know, decade down the road, gee, <laughs> using that drug really made me a better person and made my life better. You know, Yeah. that's very uncommon.
0: I mean, there are, uh- I agree with you, but there are cases that it has helped people that have severe mental health issues.
1: Um, Uh
0: Uh-oh. Here we go. Well,
1: I I think that, uh, again, AMA, Standard American Medical Association stuff, is like treat the symptoms. So push the pills, keep people on them for a long time. Well, that's true. I mean, I'm not saying it hasn't been So for example, I... my daughter actually has some, some, um, you know, depression issues and stuff like that. And we're getting to the root causes of it. And I strongly suspect we're on the right track. A lot of it is nutritional. It has to do with rare metals. So, you know, with copper toxicity, with, has been uh, has barium in her body, which doesn't belong in your body at all. So like dealing with things at a cellular level or at a metabolic level is often going to be more effective than just masking the psychiatric effects of it uh, by taking, you know, Fexor and Adderall or whatever. Well,
0: Tim, you just opened up a whole nother can of worms, but that's a <laughs> whole nother podcast. So we're going to have to put that on hold because I have to get To rapid fire and ask you some fun questions. How does that sound? Bring it. (laughs) They're going to be like, bring that guy, Tim, back on. Bring him on live so we can ask him questions. Okay, so here we go. These are fun questions for you, Tim. What's your favorite color?
1: Blue, like my eyes.
0: Oh, there you go. What food do you love eating?
1: Oh, one food for the rest of my life, sushi. High quality sushi, not the two-for-one California rolls.
0: Okay, sushi. What would one of your favorite days look like? What would you do from beginning to end if you could do anything?
1: Wake up without an alarm when my body wants to wake up. Go outside for a walk, get some vitamin C um, at at the beach, interact with people that I love and care about, and and then have some sex and go to sleep.
0: There you go. I think that looks like a beautiful day, a fun day. I a love primal you... brain
1: day. A primal
0: <laughs> Oh, could have said it better. Okay. Do you have any, besides yours, uh, favorite books that you've read in the last year or two you could recommend?
1: Oh, well, probably the most impactful one from a kind of intellectual level was Noah Yuval Harari's book, Sapiens. Wow, that guy, how he thinks, his brain, his knowledge, how he ties things together, that book is stunning in its both scope and depth and, and the quality of the writing, uh, considering how dense it, it, the subject matter is. And then the, on a practical level, again, I just kind of cribbed quite a bit of my sleep chapter uh, out of this guy's book. But Walker's book, Why We Sleep, I think from a self-help standpoint, that's way yeah. more important than any book I've read in the last five years. Ooh,
0: I haven't read that. I'm writing that down. Why We Sleep.
1: He's the head of the, you know, used to be, um, I think, the MIT and then now the, for a couple decades, the Berkeley Sleep Labs.
0: Love it. Okay. So is there any, like, guilty pleasure you have that you could tell us about?
1: Hmm. Guilty pleasure that I'm willing to admit. Milling That's to the, admit,
0: like, do you wake <laughs> up at four in the morning and eat mac and cheese? Do you binge watch something?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm a big uh, fan. I have a, go, a whole other sh- chapter in my book on storytelling and the, and the importance of that. So I'm a big fan of stories in visual form. So especially the hero's journey kind of stories overcoming gotcha. incredible odds. So yeah, I'm a bit of a binge watcher of, of good drama and Saving Private Ryan, The Matrix, things like that. Yeah.
0: Oh, my God. My husband watched The Matrix a thousand times. I swear to him. <laughs> I have How a can DVD of it. you keep watching it? How can you keep watching over and over all of them?
1: It's he a classic it. storytelling form, same as Star Wars or any yeah. of you know, The Odyssey. It's, uh, it's very powerful stuff for my psyche.
0: Yeah. All right, Tim. If you could be an animal, what would you be? And
1: why? Mm, well, I've always. So I, I went through an initiation retreat about three years ago through the Mankind Project. And as part of that, we kind of picked out a spirit animal. Mine is the peaceful lion. Oh. And um, so having that quality of peacefulness is important strength and reserve, but the potential for it. Um, and uh, I'm a Leo, so no surprise there. Cats are my people. I have three cats in the house. And they, I, I get along. People. Yeah, they get along with them a lot better than the other three humans in the house. So, yeah, I, I'd be, I'd be a lion. They wow. also get to sleep twenty hours a day. Male yeah. lions. The yeah. women are the one that do the hunting. I like
0: oh, that. that's that's really short. By the way, we have five cats and a dog. Excellent. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. Okay, when I say the word universe, what does it mean to you?
1: mitakoyeyo Yasin. It's um It's a. Ooh, it's, a it's a Lakota. Su phrase that means we're all connected or for all of my relations is basically, it's it's all the web of life. There's no separation.
0: Can you say that one more time?
1: Mitakuye oyasin.
0: Well, Tim Ash, I have to tell you something. My let's keep it real people are going to be, he kept it real. And I really, really appreciate it. It's the only way I roll. Yeah. I mean, it was a whole nother way to look at things. So I love that. And you've opened my mind. To so many different things. Like I'm sitting there going, oh, I have to investigate that. Oh, I got to look at that. So awesome. But before we go, how can they find you? How can they get your book? Everything.
1: My background is in uh, digital marketing and evolutionary psychology. I used to run an agency, as you mentioned. And these days, I do some solo consulting and a lot of public speaking and training. So if you want that side of me, just go to timash.com. Uh, if you want in- information about this latest book, Uh, Unleash your primal brain, demystifying how we think and why we act. Uh, You can go to primalbrain.com.
0: By the way, I love that your emails and everything is so simple, like to remember. It's so great.
1: Yeah, and reach out to me on LinkedIn if you want to connect. That's a that's a great place to do it. I've kind of hit my five thousand person limit on on uh, Facebook, so I can't accept friends there anymore.
0: Oh, that's right. There's a five thousand limit. I didn't even. I forgot about that. All right, Tim, anything else I didn't get in that you want to say to the people?
1: Just for your primal brain is in charge. There's no such thing as a logical decision. If you want to understand yourself, look at these deep evolutionary psychology roots that make us tick.
0: All right, my let's keep it real, people. Thank you so much for listening. And I know, I just know, you're going to want to share this with someone. We really appreciate you sharing and like it and rate it and support. Tim Ash, I promise you, no matter who you are, you're freaking going to love his book.
1: Yeah. Well, actually, if, if people want to get a sample, just go to primalbrain.com book and pick out the chapter of your choice, and I'll just email <gasps> you a PDF of it. Ooh,
0: I didn't even know we could do that. That's awesome. There you go. Another bonus, people. All right. We got to wrap it up. You know what I'm going to say. Until next time, toodles. Thanks for listening. Be sure to share and subscribe if you enjoyed the show. And remember, keep spreading the positive.